Good morning, Saints. Hey, um, before I start, I just want to mention about the St. Louis mission trip. It's in the bulletin, but three weeks from now, the 28th of July, we're going to have a special guest speaker, uh, Bishop Phil Brownlee from St. Louis. He's kind of the guy that's coordinating that up there. And so he's going to come in and talk to us on Sunday morning, but he's also going to share about the trip as well as do the sermon that morning. So I'm just kind of giving you a heads up. There will be a special offering that morning, but I'm just kind of letting us know that that's going to happen. Um, so yeah, for whatever that's worth, now you know, good. Uh, this sermon this morning is really part one of a two-part series, which means I'm going to be back next week. I'm very sorry, but you're going to have to put up with me two weeks in a row. Um, this week is actually, I'm kind of um, laying a groundwork, uh, kind of building a foundation, and next week I'm going to do more of an envisioning kind of thing, which next week's sermon is going to be really, really different. Um, I'm not even going to try to explain what that means. But, uh, so we're talking about, we've been talking about uh, uh, how our, our relationship with the Lord, how our identity in Christ really plays into the gifts of the Spirit and exercising the gifts of the Spirit. Last week, Steve talked predominantly about who we are in Christ. This week, I'm going to talk predominantly about the gifts of the Spirit. And I'm going to tie that together because I think we need to not only understand, but, but walk more fully in the fact that there is a connection between prayer and the gifts of the Spirit. And to see that, but also to, to, to walk it out in our lives, if you will. And I think the, the testimony that Donna shared really plays into that. Um, my goodness, what an amazing story. And God did that, I'm convinced, because people were praying. So let's, uh, let's pray together right now, and then we'll get into this. Lord, as we, as we look into your word this morning, we are, we are willingly right now opening ourselves to you and inviting you to speak into us. God, you said that your word is powerful, it's sharp, and we're asking that it come in and do that surgical work in our hearts this morning as only you can have your way in us this day. Amen. 1 Corinthians 14.1, it says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts gifts. The living Bible translation of that says, love, let love be your greatest aim. Nevertheless, ask also for the special abilities the Holy Spirit gives. So if we're going to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, if we're going to, if we're going to uh, uh, ask for those special abilities, then that requires more than us just sitting by on the side and hoping for it. Are you with me? Sam Storms in his book, Practicing the Power, talks about that verse and he said this, the Holy Spirit wants to be pursued and will not be pushed. This is just another way of saying that if we want to see and experience the full range of spiritual gifts, we must re relentlessly seek them. So we don't, we, don't just, we don't just sit on the side and wait. We earnestly desire. The NIV says that we're to eagerly pursue them. There, there, there needs to be a, uh, an initiative on our part that we're doing something about it. We're going after them. Apparently that's what God wants. He wants us to pursue them, to go, to go after them. Now, I know that there are some in the greater body of Christ who would disagree with that concept, um, and it's because of something that Paul says two chapters earlier. So I want to look at that and kind of put this together so that we understand what's going on here. In 1 Corinthians 12, 
verses 8 through 10, Paul gives us a list of various spiritual gifts. He lists out word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Actually, the ESV says utterance of wisdom or utterance of knowledge. Same idea. Uh, Faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And and by the way, I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't believe that's the full list. I, I don't ever want to limit a limitless God. Are you with me? Um, I, I think those are some of the main ways that the Holy Spirit works through us, but I don't think that's everything. Um, and, and, and honestly, it seems to me that when we talk about the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that we could define that by saying this, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are the ways that the Holy Spirit works in and through his people in ways that we couldn't on our own. Does that make sense? So, so that list there in 1 Corinthians 12 is, is a, some of the primary ways, but it's not everything. So for whatever that's worth. But it, it lists those out in verses 8 through 10. But then in verse 11, it says this. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Each one as he wills. So if you just read that on its own, what that sounds like is God's gonna do what God's gonna do. Has nothing to do with us at all. But see, I don't think that's a correct understanding of what it's really saying, especially in light of what we just read in chapter 14, where we're supposed to eagerly pursue or earnestly desire those spiritual gifts. I mean, how do you square that idea of going after them with the idea of sera, sera, whatever will be, will be kind of an attitude. Sam Storms in his book, Practicing the Power, said it this way, isn't it reasonable to think that if we're responsible for desiring spiritual gifts and the Spirit is responsible for distributing them, we should ask that he fulfill our desires by granting us the gifts we want to see manifest in our lives? I would suggest that the desire that we feel for certain gifts is likely the fruit of the Spirit's work in our hearts. He desires or wills to grant us a gift or gifts which awakens in us a desire for the very thing he is determined to impart. In other words, what's going on on the inside of us is something the Holy Spirit is already prompting. If we're desiring that thing, if we're, if we're wanting it, that's not the enemy trying to get us to want that. Are you with me? And certainly not even our fleshly nature. So if we're desiring certain things, that's already a, a sign that the Holy Spirit is, is working in us to desire that. And so then what that is, is kind of, a, kind of a deposit, a seed form, if you will. And so we need to pray into that. We need to pray that, that God will fully manifest that. Um, the idea that we're supposed to just sit back and wait for it we, and not pray for it, we, we, don't, we don't act like that in other areas of our life. We don't. I mean, if we did, we'd never pray for anything. And so we're supposed to be praying for spiritual gifts. Think about it uh, like, like this. When Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them to pray, one of the things he said was, um, give us this day our daily bread. So what is he, what, what, when we pray that, what are we praying? We're praying that God will meet our needs, okay? It's very clear in scripture that God desires to meet our needs, that he wants to meet our needs. But Jesus is clearly telling us that we don't just sit back and wait for it to happen. We have a role to play. We ask for it. We pray into that. And it's the same thing with the spiritual gifts. As he puts those desires into us, we pray that those things are manifested, come into to full bloom, if you will, in our lives. God is offering us an opportunity for involvement with the Holy Spirit by putting that initial deposit into us. And then we pray for the, 
the manifestation of it. James 4, 2, it says, you do not have, uh, Warren shared this earlier, because you do not ask. We need to ask. Sam Storms one more time. He said, there is little if any hope for the proper use of spiritual gifts apart from a focused and consistent commitment to praying. Wow. And I think he's exactly right. But I will say this. I don't think that it's just praying for the gift or even the use of the gift that there is more to that connection between prayer and the gifts of the Holy Spirit than just praying that we are able to use them and use them well. Let me, let me give you an illustration that I think might help. In a marriage relationship, if you're married and you want to, if you want to have, um, I'm trying to be cautious with words here, if you want to have the, the intimate physical act of marriage, you don't, if you just go after the physical act, that's going to wear out after a time. It, but if there is an ongoing, everyday caring and love attitude that's happening in that relationship, the physical act is the natural thing that happens. Are you with me? P- pursuing the act is not as nearly as important as pursuing the person. And it's the same thing here in this kind of setting with the, the spiritual gifts. Pursuing just the gift, oh, it's important to pursue the gift, don't get me wrong, but pursuing the giver of the gift is really the point. And so that's, I think, a higher, higher understanding, a higher motivation for us in this whole realm of prayer. Uh, Timothy Keller, in his book, Prayer, Experiencing the Awe and Intimacy with God, he said this, prayer tunes your heart to God. Prayer tunes your heart to God. I love that statement. Because it puts us in a place where, where we can receive from him, if you will. We can hear his voice. We're, we're listening to him, and that, that aligns our thoughts and our actions with him. Let, let, me, let me show you an example of this idea in Scripture that I think is, is kind of profound. In Mark chapter 9, there's, uh, if you remember, there's the boy that's tormented by the evil spirit, Uh, It keeps throwing him into the fire, into the water, and Jesus' disciples try to cast it out, and they can't do it, and Jesus comes on the scene, and um, he casts it out. And then after he casts it out, he makes this great statement. He says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. But if you read the account, there's no indication that Jesus prayed. If you go back just a few verses, Jesus' basic interaction with the demonic spirit or with the boy is, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. Does anybody else think it's odd that Jesus says it can only come out by prayer and Jesus doesn't actually pray? I mean, that seems odd to me. So as I've pondered this over the years, there's really two options. Either Either Mark doesn't give us the full context here, either Jesus actually did pray and we just don't get to see it, or Jesus meant something different than what we think he probably meant there. Now, if at the end Jesus says this kind can only be driven out by prayer, if that seems to be the point for Mark to leave out the prayer, I just can't even fathom that that would be right. I mean, I'd want to know what that prayer was. Not so I could say the words verbatim, but at least get an idea of what it was. But I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. I think Jesus is saying that it's a life of prayer. That it's, it's, it's what Bob Heil used to refer to as being prayed up. That we are in prayer on a frequent and consistent basis. Scripture says that we're to pray without ceasing. And so because 
we're there, we're, we're, we're prayed up, we're in that prayer mode ongoingly, then when we confront that person with a demonic spirit or whatever it might be, we're ready for that spiritual battle. See, I think when, when Jesus said that this guy cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, I think what he was really saying to his disciples is, hey, you guys aren't praying enough. And, and please understand, I'm not saying that to you, all right? But if the Holy Spirit's convicting you, sorry. See, I would suggest that the enemy of our souls knows that if we're hanging out with God, if we're praying more and more, that we're gonna be a lot harder to defeat. Pete Gregg in his book, The uh, Dirty Glory, that I quoted from numerous times in my last message here, um, he said this, Satan's not particularly interested in sin. His primary objective has never been to tempt you into violating a particular set of rules. His number one aim is simply to divert your attention away from Jesus. He'll use sin to do that for sure, but he's equally able to use busyness, or shame, or pain, or religion, or Candy Crush Saga, or an obsessive relationship, or a golf handicap, or a pay rise, or an illness to distract you from the Lord. And he's right. We We were created for relationship with God. And because he's a spirit and we're human beings, a big part of that relationship is prayer. So if we wanna flow with what the Lord is doing, if we wanna exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then it's gonna take a willingness on our part to pray. Are you following me? Peter T. Forsyth, in a a book that was published first over 100 years ago, he said this, the worst sin is prayerlessness. Overt sin or glaring inconsistencies, which often surprise us in Christian people, are the effects of this. Not to pray, then, is the sin behind the sin. So I'm more and more convinced that if we want to see God move, if we want to see the gifts of the Spirit active in our midst, then prayer is essential to that. Pete Gregg, the guy that wrote uh, Dirty Glory, he, he once tweeted this. He said, I don't believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of God, so I pray a lot. This is, this is a guy that's written entire books on prayer and the effects of prayer, and he says, I don't believe in the power of prayer. He says, I believe in the power of God, and so I pray a lot. I think there's a good lesson for us there. I, uh, I think that what we call the Lord's Prayer is a great model for our prayers, I'm, and this could be a whole sermon in itself, but I'm just gonna kind of touch on the, on the very first part. And by the way, Jesus... I don't think he really was saying we should say it verbatim in at least one of the gospels. He says, pray along these lines. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray it verbatim. I think praying it verbatim gives us a, a framework that we can build our life of prayer onto, okay? But um, if you think about the very beginning, he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What are we doing? We're, we're looking to God. We're looking out and away from ourselves, if you will. We're, we're, we're solidly grounding our prayers and really ourselves at that point on we have a heavenly father who's listening to us as we speak. That's a great place to begin prayer. And again, it's not so much about uh, uh, reciting the exact words, if you will. It's about knowing who we're praying to. We are not just, we're not just praying to some impersonal divine deity. 
No, this is our heavenly Father who loves us, who cares richly for us. And see, that's, again, that's that, the, the idea of the, the gifts of the Spirit really intersect with knowing who we are in Christ. If we recognize that, that he's our Father, we're his children, then our prayers take on a whole different perspective and it's gonna affect how we move in the gifts of the Spirit. And see, I would say that those, the, the, the ideas that I'm putting together here today of prayer and the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit really kind of interweave with one another because it is often as we are in prayer that God will speak into us. Maybe something for us, maybe something for, for someone else. Uh, Tim Keller quoted Martin Luther. Martin Luther tells us that if we're meditating or praying, and as we are meditating and praying, an abundance of good thoughts comes to us. We ought to disregard the other petitions, make room for such thoughts, listen in silence, and under no circumstances obstruct them. The Holy Spirit himself preaches here, and one word of his sermon is better than a thousand of our prayers. Wow. That's Martin Luther, you guys. This isn't like something new that we're, we're just starting to figure out now, Okay. And I'm guessing that most of us here in this room have had that happen. I mean, have you ever been praying and all of a sudden God just kind of drops something into your spirit? You know, maybe something for you, maybe something that, that you need to share with somebody else, whatever it might be. But it's because of that connection, that relationship that we're cultivating there that God is able to, to speak those things into us. It came about as you prayed. All right, so we've talked about, and I just kind of want to recap a little bit here. We've talked about how scripture tells us that we're supposed to earnestly desire, eagerly pursue the spiritual gifts and how our relationship with God through prayer is vital in making that happen, okay? Now I want to take you to two verses that the apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, his son in the faith, that I think are, are really important for us here this morning. First Timothy 4.14 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul writes, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And 2 Timothy 1.6, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, before I get into what I really wanna say about these two, there's something here that just strikes me as I read that first one. The gift you have which was given you by prophecy. When we speak by the Holy Spirit into somebody else's lives, somebody else's life, it is more than just words that we're saying. God is imparting something into that person. Timothy received a gift because of prophecy. What I want to encourage us this morning is to, to never take that for granted, whether we're the giver of that word or the receiver of that word. You know, when, when Margaret came up here this morning and read John 3.16, and said God saying that he loves us, it would be really easy to go, oh, heard that before. Right? It would be really easy to do that. But I am more and more convinced this is God Almighty speaking into us. We need to be paying attention and saying, God, yes. To receive that word. Because there's something, there's a spiritual transaction. This is God speaking into us. We need to be listening and responding to that. Are you following me? So what I really want to share, that, sorry, none of that was in the notes. I just thought that was important. What I really want to share with you, Paul, talking to Timothy here, he says, do not neglect that gift. 
Don't ignore it, Timothy. Don't just let it slip away. That, that's what happens when things are neglected. They, they fade away. They die out. They, they, they wither up and die. So, Timothy, don't neglect that gift. Do something with it so it doesn't fade away. But the other passage, I think, is even stronger where Paul says, fan into flame. That's beyond just not neglecting. The King James says, stir up the gift. New Century Version says, keep using the gift. That's the, that's the action-oriented, positive parallel to don't neglect. Do something with it. If, if you just neglect it, if you don't do anything with it, it's gonna die. But if you do something with it, it's gonna flourish. That really, what, what I'm talking about here is stewardship. It's, it's, it's the being faithful in the little things. Use it or you lose it. If you neglect it, it's gonna fade away. But if you practice it, it will grow and increase. And I think a great example of, of that in our midst is Daryl. When Daryl first started giving prophetic words way, way back, you know, he was scared, wasn't sure, um, didn't, didn't really wanna do it. Uh, but more and more, God pushed him toward doing that, and now it's like second nature, and some of the words that he gives are, are incredible kind of things that we just need to hear as a body, right? And that's because he did exactly what Paul is telling Timothy. Fan it into flame. Don't neglect it. Go after it. And I would suggest that there may be some here this morning that you've been neglecting a gift that God has put within you. And I'm telling you, Stop doing that. Use that gift. Oh, I know it might be awkward. It might be uncomfortable at times. But that pales in comparison to what God is going to do through that gift if you'll allow him to do it. Now, we've, we've talked in the past about how spiritual gifts seem, at least from Scripture, to be primarily for out there. But I don't want us to get the idea that it's, they're, they're just for out there. Because Scripture is very clear that they're also for here. 1 Peter 4.10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God, God's varied grace. So part of what we're supposed to do with the gifts that we have is that we're supposed to what? Serve one another. It's gonna make a difference in each other's lives as we do that. So that's not just for out there, it's also for here. 1 Corinthians 14, 12, it says, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, which is what it says we're supposed to be, right? We're supposed to eagerly pursue, we're supposed to earnestly desire. So since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Again, part of the reason God gives us those gifts is to build up the church, to, to strengthen the body, to 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 help build us up as a people together. And as we practice the gifts here, that doesn't mean that they aren't going to go further than just right here. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 24 and 25, it says this, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Now you guys know my overactive imagination. So I read that verse and I'm like, what, what should that look like? What could that look like in a setting like this? Well, what if some Sunday morning 
There's a man that visits, an outsider, that's what the verse says, comes and visits, and he's been running from the Lord. Maybe he lives just down the road. Maybe he was raised in a Christian home. But he's pushed all of that aside, and for years he's been running away, tried everything the world has to offer. And he's here on Sunday morning. I don't know, maybe his mom is visiting from out of town that morning and she wants to go to church and we're the closest one, so they come. And at some point during the service, maybe somebody, I don't know, maybe Ashley Kreuter stands up and says, I feel like there's somebody here that is running from God. And then immediately, maybe somebody else, maybe, maybe Amy Miller has a, a picture of a young teen who's broken his arm. And as soon as she shares that, Dave Martin stands up and says, yeah, there is somebody who's been running from God and it started when you broke your arm when you were a young teenager and God didn't heal it the way you thought he would. And so you started to push him away. And then maybe Karen Martin stands up and says, yeah, but it was a few years later when your dad passed away that you pushed him all the way away and you've been running ever since. And then maybe Daryl Roth walks up here and says, yeah, all that's true. But God brought you here this morning. You think you came on your own, but you didn't. God brought you here this morning because he wants you to know that he is your true father and he has never left you and he loves you with an everlasting love. And we see that man and his mother over on the side crying. And guess what just happened? God used five people to return that wayward child back to his family. That's the essence of what those verses that we just read are saying. And here's the deal. We're sitting here right now thinking, wow, that would be pretty cool to see that happen. But I'll guarantee there's at least a couple of people who are thinking, well, yeah, but the chances of that happening are pretty slim. But you know what? From what I read there in 1 Corinthians, this is not supposed to be some odd, different, crazy, outlandish kind of thing that nobody's ever heard of before. This is normal Christianity according to that scripture. That's the way it's supposed to work. And let me be really clear about this. What I'm talking about here, what we're doing is we're not doing things any differently than what Jesus did. A.B. Simpson, he was the founder of Christian Missionary and Alliance denomination. In his book, The Fourfold Gospel, he said this, When Christ healed the sick while he was here on earth, it was not by the deity that dwelt in his humanity. He said, if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come upon you. Jesus healed by the Holy Spirit. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. The Holy Spirit is the agent then by which this great power is wrought. It was through Jesus and it's also through us. We should especially expect to see this working in these days because 
They are the days in which it has been prophesied that there shall be signs and wonders. That book was written in 1890. How much more should that be true for us today? The other day I read uh, Mark chapter two, the, the story of the guy getting let down through the, the roof. And he said, Jesus says to the guy, your sins are forgiven. Pick it up in verse six of Mark two. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Think about that. Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned. He is not operating any differently than you or me. Okay, he's doing it better. But it's the same idea. It's the same Holy Spirit that we have. We, we perceive things in our spirit. That's exactly what it says Jesus did right there. The Holy Spirit impresses something onto us, into us, however you want to say it, and we get to choose whether or not we move on that, what we do with it. While I was studying for this message, I came across a story about a, a guy who said that he, he regularly sees the, the, the Holy Spirit hovering over people and when he sees that then he knows that there's some kind of ministry that he needs to do with that person now he he said he couldn't explain exactly what the holy spirit hovering over somebody looks like okay good um, but regardless when that happens what he does is he immediately stops whatever it is he's doing and prays holy spirit show me what you want me to, to do or say in this situation because he knows that there's something going on seeing that in his spirit being impressed into him. There will be times when you will have an impression in your spirit. Maybe you'll perceive the Holy Spirit hovering over somebody. Maybe it'll be something totally different than that. But whatever it might be, you're gonna know that there's something going on there. You're in tune with the spirit and you're gonna ask, Lord, show me what to do in this situation. What do I say? What do I do? I read a, a fascinating story just last week. This is from a, a book printed in 1893. Annie Clayton was a little girl living in San Jose, California. As a child, she and her sister Vaney took a long walk one Saturday morning to collect some scraps of wood as fuel for heating their family's home. As they returned, Vaney collapsed from the lingering effects of cholera and was unable to proceed. Annie, who was only five years old, was helpless and they sat beside the road not knowing what to do. Finally, Vaney said, you know, Annie, that a good while ago, mother told us that if we ever got into trouble, we should pray and God would help us. Now you help me get down upon my knees and hold me up and we will pray. So there on the sidewalk, the two sisters prayed earnestly for someone to come along to help them. Then they resumed sitting on the curb, waiting to see how God would answer their prayers. Far down the street, they spotted a man who walked out of a factory and looked curiously up the street and the girls thought perhaps he was the one God would send but the man went back into the factory. Presently, he came out again, looked up the street again, and re-entered the factory. Then the man walked out of the factory a third time, wearing his hat, and walked toward them. Approaching the children, the man said in a, bro in a broken German accent, oh, children, what is the matter? When they explained the situation to him, the German hoisted Vaney up on his brawny shoulders and carried her all the way home. Once the girls were safely delivered, the gentleman told his story. He was the proprietor of an ink factory and he had been working hard on payroll checks for his men. Suddenly, 
he was pour, as he was poring over his books, his eyes had clouded up and his vision had blurred. He had a plain impression that someone on the street wanted to see him. So he stepped outside and tried to focus his eyes up and down the street. Seeing no one, he returned to his desk and tried to work. The darkness in his vision was even worse and the impression was even greater. So he walked outside again, puzzled. Then he returned to his work again, but his fingers would not grasp the pen. He found himself unable to write a word. Moreover, the impression on his mind was urgent. So he fetched his hat and walked up the street in bewilderment until he saw the girls who had prayed earnestly for someone to come along and help them. If that guy wasn't listening to the Lord on a regular basis, I'm pretty sure he wasn't gonna listen to him, wasn't gonna hear his voice on that particular occasion. Pamela Limpscomb shared this testimony on her website. She said, I remember one day when I was walking down the street and I saw an older woman limping. I politely asked her if she minded if I prayed for her. She said, yes, I think she meant she said it was okay. I laid hands on her and prayed and then asked her to walk a few steps to see how her leg was. To her surprise, the pain was gone. Then I shared the gospel with her. This is a, ga- a case where God's gift opened the door to share the gospel. See, I'm guessing that Pamela Linscombe was intentionally cultivating that relationship with God through prayer on a regular basis. And it was because of that that she even noticed that woman with the limp and even thought to pray for her. That's why we need to be in prayer on a regular basis, making it a higher priority. All right, one final thought. I wanna go back to, to where we started, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Somebody put this into context for us. This is from 1 Corinthians 14. What's right before 1 Corinthians 14? 1 Corinthians 13, very good. It's not a trick question. And 1 Corinthians 13 is about love. And so Paul has just finished telling us all about love, what it's like, why it's important, uh, what it should mean to us tangibly. And then he goes into this, this whole teaching about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So if you understand the context, the the motivation for the gifts of the Spirit should be love. We we don't prophesy because we want to wow someone. We don't don't pray for somebody's healing because we want to show how spiritual we are. We pray because we genuinely care about the person. Are you with me? Our motivation is should be that we love the person just like the Lord loves that person. So think about it. What we're doing, we're taking what God gives to us and we're handing it off. We're, we're, we're the delivery person is all we are. We're taking that gift and we're giving it to them. But unlike the guy that delivers UPS packages to your house, whose motivation is that he gets paid by the hour, our motivation is that we love those people. And so part of our prayer as we're cultivating that relationship, part of our prayer is that God give us that heart of compassion, that love for those people, for our brothers and sisters, for the people out there, so that we're, we're operating the way that Jesus did. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. The motivation is love, but we're to earnestly desire the gifts, and to do that, what are we doing? We're cultivating our relationship with God through prayer. I want to leave you with that. Is that written there in the notes, what I just said? Okay, so, so what, I'm going to, what I'm going to challenge you to do is to take that 
home with you and really pray into that idea, those three points, that, that, the, that, that our motivation is love, that we're desiring, that we're eagerly pursuing, that we're earnestly desiring those gifts, and that, that we're, that's coming about through us developing more and more that relationship with God through prayer. Um, if, we, if we're not doing something with what we're hearing here, we're not really acting on it the way that we should. So I wanna challenge you with that to, to take that home. Next week, I'm gonna, I'm gonna envision this a whole lot more, um, but I wanna, I wanna kind of leave us with that. And uh, Pastor Nick, I know, used to say a, a lot that there's a real strong connection between communion and the gifts of the Spirit. I don't have time to develop that whole thing this morning, but I'm also gonna confidently expect that as we're receiving communion that there are going to be some things that are going to happen people that are getting prayed for are going to actually have things happen that people as we receive communion God's going to do some things and maybe even drop something into our hearts for somebody else or for ourselves